everyone. Welcome to the Gibbs Spotlight. My name is Callie Curtis and I am a communications intern at the Gibbs College of Architecture. Today we are talking to Essen Pectus. Essen Pectus is the Robert Wesley Teaching Fellow at Gibbs College. She graduated with her Bachelor's in Architecture from Istanbul Yildiz Technical University in 2003. She also attended the City University of New York for Civil Engineering and Columbia University in the City of New York for Masonry Restoration. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a Robert Wesley Fellow, the inaugural Robert Wesley Fellow. This might be the best thing that's ever happened to me. That's why I, I just can't emphasize this enough that this has been the most rewarding title for me out of anything else because Robert Wesley is the first Black partner at SOM, maybe the largest, oldest architecture firm in the United States, but also one of the most major firms in the whole world. And Robert Wesley worked in Chicago office and he did many buildings that are famous, uh, anywhere from the airport to the music hall, every iconic building project he worked on. I find many things parallel between Robert and I, even though I never met him in person before the fellowship opportunity, he's like the mentor that I that was invisible. We have so much in common. We are both detail-oriented. We are both uh, builders, not just designers. Coming here from New York, I have been working in New York for 18 years. I have dual licensure as a professional engineer and registered architect. I started architecting at a very, very young age, before college. Uh, I was in my grandma's town. It's a Mediterranean town in southern Turkey where I worked for the president of the Chamber of Architects in that town. I went to him myself and I asked him how to learn architecture. And that's how my journey officially started. Since 16, I've been making a living out of construction, architecture, and engineering. After that, I really, really liked it. I mostly like the site work from that experience because at the time, being young and restless and curious about everything, the real college interns would uh, let me go to the site and take their photos, measurements, surveys for them. I went to college right after that experience to, to become officially become an architect. I studied architecture in Istanbul. I wanted justice. So I, uh, I wanted women to be in construction. LGBTQ people to be in construction. I wanted to have, I wanted to be everywhere, everyone to be everywhere equally. And after college, about a week after college, actually, I won a green card from the diversity lottery. I didn't know much about it. A friend of a friend applied for all of us. And then when I got my green card, I didn't know what it was, but it was permanent residency. I didn't speak much English, but I went to a travel agency and I asked for the cheapest flight ticket to America. And I got tickets to Akron, Ohio for some reason. Before that, I had my internships in Europe, in Paris, uh, Luxembourg, Brussels, and Amsterdam. So I figured this would be the same because America is much bigger. So I would just come to the airport, take a shuttle to downtown, and then I would find a hostel and then find a job. And it wasn't like that. I, I I was at the airport, took a shuttle to the last stop. There was nothing. <laughs> it was a highway. So there was just a Burger King across the, across the highway. I went there. And this was back in 2003. That's the summer LeBron James actually just finished high school and signed the contract with Nike. 
that I, I didn't know at the time, of course, that it was going to be a big deal. I was there only for three, three and a half months. But as I said, it, it, it feels like my hometown. I always went back for Christmas, Thanksgiving, vacations, holidays to be with my friends. I have at least two best friends still in touch with them all the time. And then I found my first job in Baltimore, Maryland as an intern architect. This was a major project. It's Silo Point in Inner Harbor, Baltimore. It was an adaptive renovation project. It was a national registry building, a silo building that was in the harbor that we converted it into into residential and commercial mixed-use complex. It was a significant project for me to start with. I was very lucky with that. There I, I learned how to architect, so to say. And then coming from Istanbul, I had to be in a big, big, big metropolitan. So I moved to New York immediately. I found my first job in, in New York. This is when I was 23. I started working with Douglas Lister, who uh, was my first mentor in New York. He taught me how to do building envelope facade engineering, roofing, and all the science behind facade engineering, and uh, how to preserve historic buildings, landmarks buildings, national register buildings, by using new technology. This is back in 2003-04, we were using thermal infrared camera technology to see water penetration, uh, air infiltration, etc., and many other tools. This is when I first used Revit before it was it's become the, the normal in the industry. So uh, I had a I had a good head start in the industry with all the technological tools, just learn how the, the science behind the architecture uh, first. This is one of the major projects we did together with Doug um, during that time with Doug's office that um, it was 240 Central Park South. It's where in the original Superman movie from the 50s, where Superman lands on Louis Lane's apartment. That apartment is now Doug's apartment, which won the best individual landmark restoration award in New York. And it's, it's the first modern apartment building in New York. So that was a significant project. One of my other significant projects was Archester. It was a 171 building complex, and we had 12,000 residential units with 30,000 tenants in them, with just many commercial tenants, banks, restaurants, medical facilities, retail stores. I was the capital projects manager for this building complex. I felt like the mayor for this one because uh, every time I received a call to go from one side of the complex to the other side would take me 20, 30 minutes. But it was just such a large scale that we had our own subway station. So every decision that was made on capital projects had a big, powerful impact on all the residents and their daily life quality. And it was from 1942 that there was a factory and uh, people who immigrated from Europe would were the factory workers and then all these residentials were built for them to live in. And we had blueprints, original blueprints from that time and we didn't have anything else. So I brought them to today's technology to be able to manage this humongous comp building complex by having access to every single little information that was ever done 
to track information. So we put it in BIM design. We put every single unit with every single room, every single existing condition into Revit. And we made it uh, in a way that you could just click on whichever building, whichever apartment, or whichever commercial tenant, you could click on uh, whichever room in it to show what maintenance history it had, how much money we paid for it, what was recommended to be done in the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, but not done this year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that was one of the significant things that I felt very happy and proud for being young enough to know the new technology, but uh, experienced enough to know how uh, preservation was done traditionally, how everything else was by tradition and how to bring the two, two worlds together and uh, make them speak with each other and have the, have the best out of it. Uh, then I, I've got my architecture license after, uh, I, I have already studied architecture in uh, Istanbul, Yildiz Technical University. And then when I came to America, I started immediately working on my internship. Uh, I registered with the AIA right away. I started my uh, internship development program. I worked for licensed architects and uh, recorded my internships. And then I got my license 2011. And then I got my lead certification because everything we did was either targeting to have lead, but definitely with the sustainability in mind and trying to have to use the environmentally conscious design. During my architecture days, I started studying engineering because I did have a scientific science background from uh, before college. I went to the science high school, but um, also because of the experience I had on all these technical tools I was able to use, I also wanted to pursue engineering to make sure that I'm designing buildings that are not just aesthetically pleasing, but also they can stand to forces, lateral forces, vertical source, uh, gravity forces, and they are smart and complete from the beginning, they are just in harmony with, with the structural systems and MEP systems. When the engineering systems introduced to my building, it's not going to affect my design because it didn't ignore all these uh, aspects of it. And then I worked on some uh, fun space architecture during my engineering studies, I, I was very much interested in designing habitable uh, space modules. This is back in 2009. It was 2008, 2009. It was the, just having, having a permanent place, uh, a habitation space on, on moon, so we didn't have to go back and forth. We could just be there for a certain time. And what we could bring as, as architects, knowing the minimum space, for maximum usage. I was very much interested in that, which also became the inspiration for my fellowship at OU. I proposed a project to have a 3D building that is a habitable module. It could be a space module, it could be a module here, it could be a module for any refugee crisis or any environmental crisis that we can build something in three days to provide shelter for at least uh, essential needs of the people would need uh, access to medicine, to anything that needs sheltering. And I worked as an engineer for many years, and I got my engineering license. This required a ton of studying. I, I always make jokes because my cat was around so much, or I studied so much for my engineering 
exam that I felt like my cat could pass the exam after studying so much. During all my architecture and engineering uh, experiences, I was at the site. I was always at the construction site. It was always hands-on. I always had the best satisfaction from building what I'm thinking or building what someone else is and another architect's design gave me the full satisfaction because you could see on a daily basis that you are building something and, and it's working and it's proper and it's how the design intent was and it's to it's to complement that good design coming to life. During this time I learned other skills just to have a full control of my projects. Say I learned how to sail to be able to go around the island. All my projects were in Manhattan to be able to record the construction process, to take photos, make videos, et cetera, et cetera. But just to have the freedom of how far, how close I can go or wherever I want to go, I said, okay, I'm just going to learn how to sail around the island, so I will do that. And then when I started building sky, which is my specialty is building skyscrapers. So once I did that, I had to go up high. So I learned how to fly to be able to record my projects from, from above, not only from inside. Even though it's our job, just architecture or buildings or construction, engineering, all of it, I can't even separate them really. But it it has become the lifestyle for me. That wherever I went, my job became uh, my home. So I never feel um, foreign or I never feel like a refugee. Or if I'm a refugee, I just become a homeowner right away because. I know what to do when I have the, the skill set and the tools and the materials. I don't, I will learn the language. I will do this, I will do that. I will do the paperwork, but I will know how to work hands-on. This is back in 2017 in Rome at the American Academy. I had an apprenticeship with uh, Peter Rockwell. He's Norman Rockwell's son. He was a sculptor. He, he managed the Trevi Fountain restoration he was just fantastic fantastic stone sculptor and I didn't become a sculptor obviously I'm not a talented artist but I learned how to work with all types of stone granite Carrara marble anything even not even just stone terracotta wax he taught me how to approach the material what are the properties of different materials how do you work with them uh, depending on the climate etc some other fun thing I did is before that I worked in China for two years which was a fantastic fantastic experience that not only learning about the new culture a new language one of new skills that's what our professors told us when we were in school architecture gives you wings if you want to fly you can fly wherever and I am one of the living proof of that that I could go anywhere I perform architecture because it is one of the oldest profession in the world, architecture, engineering, construction itself. So people will always need shelter. People will always need space to be designed, either outside or indoors. We just try to bring safety and pleasantness to people's lives. I did some humanitarian projects. One of them was a refugee center near Syrian borders when the when the war first started. The Support of Life was an organization that was helping refugees by giving them clothes, food, shelter, etc. They needed a center, so we teamed up with them. The refugees themselves 
volunteered and started working there and made this uh, project into a real life project that's still happening there. Maybe 400, 500 people a day coming there, learning how to survive the next days of their lives, how, how to do it with grace and dignity, how to do what they know already. Like they know, they learn how to apply their own jobs in these new environments that they are. They have become refugees instead of just being thrown at some food or clothes or things that doesn't feel that dignifying. We use shipping containers for, for that project and it just became a center that connects the locals and the refugees together and just blends them together. It's the space that everybody come together. And as I said, these are refugees themselves that take over and volunteer to help their own people. So it's become a living thing that not a project anymore. This was another project uh, that I teamed up with. This is an organization that tried to help a group of women in eastern Turkey where they are local refugees. They were beekeepers and carpet makers. So the idea was to build a center for these women to, where they could sell their honey and their carpets. I said, why are we having men build a building? to help these women to save them, to have them sell honey and carpets versus they are brave enough to be surrounded by bees to make honey. They are smart enough to make these extremely complicated motives. They are smart and brave enough to do buildings. So that was the idea that uh, we asked them to give us a carpet design that they did. I put it in AutoCAD. Uh, scan the scan the carpet and just line by line uh, put the whole motif uh, and we projected it. The idea is to project the carpet onto concrete wall where they could just put mosaics to match the color. And after that, yes, I I was in New York. I obtained let's say um, all the women-owned business certifications from New York State, New York City and Port Authority. So now I am uh, bidding on JFK and LaGuardia projects to be able to work on aviation construction. I just want to say that another example of just not just doing construction with high tech or new technology that helped us, but even recording your project with a drone is just made a huge difference in showing what you did or inspecting what you did. This Coming March, I have a talk at New York built about skyscrapers and high-rise buildings, futures, uh, skyscrapers future in New York City, and what's uh, waiting for us to change our design approach and testing new and building. And that's about it. It was just so amazing to hear your journey that you started off whenever you came to America, to Ohio. And you went to the last bus stop and you were at a highway all the way until now you have your like skyscraper recorded with drones and like it's just a really impressive journey that you've had. And also really like that you emphasize that you're a builder, not just a designer. So how have the design methods and practices changed in architecture since the beginning of your career? I went to school in late 90s, so that was, even AutoCAD was very new, fairly new. All my student time, I, I only use hand drawings, ink drawings, or tape measures. Even, oh, even just that, at the site, we would always have these 
rolls and rolls of paper with blueprints that we could just try to find out where, figure out where we are. The changes we make uh, would take such a long time to reflect it on the drawings versus now we use our iPads at the site and then we just zoom in, make the change, share it with everybody. There are platforms that we use that has everyone on the team is in it. The design team is in there, architects, engineers, their consultants, the owner is there and their consultants, but the general contractor is there, all subcontractors are there, manufacturers are there, it's specs are there if we if we are looking for any information we have so much faster access to any type of information about our own project and it's always a holistic approach i have a 3d max certificate from autodesk from 2003 and that was a big new thing that we couldn't even comprehend how it was going to change our lives that when we first learned how to do 3D drafting, we would do Jurassic Park. <laughs> we couldn't even comprehend it that it was going to be buildings. It was going to be our projects. Now it's a matter of layers that you can turn on and turn off the mechanical systems, electrical systems, plumbing systems, and your model matches, uh, building information model matches exactly what we are building at the site. And we couldn't have done it without the technology. We couldn't have have done such complex buildings in such a short time. This, this skyscraper, four years ago, we were 45 feet below ground. After four years, people moved in. And to me, it's just mind-blowing how technology has just, just the way we are drawing things, measuring things, scanning things, printing things. Everything just changed in the last 10 to 20 years so much that it changed the, the tradition. It's just becoming its own tradition that now we have very skillful workers who know how to use technology, who know how to, we have surveyors who are fantastic because they know how to use uh, computerized technology. They come to the site and they, they could just make everything perfect just by knowing how to uh, do 3D scanning, just even for pouring concrete, if you use 3D scanning and computerized technology and the building information modeling. It just makes the final product so much more high quality for, for the user, the end user to enjoy. Just by having increased the, the risks of the quality, just increasing the quality of work we are doing, we are saving more money that the owner could have spent on trial errors but also uh, we are more conscious about sustainable. We know how to use limited amount of sources within our, say, per lead 500 miles area and how to, how to make it work just by having the technology tell us before we even start construction, before we even start demolition. It tells us how much things are going to cost, how much material we will use, where can we get it from, and how we can make it work, uh, answers to the response to the design intent of the architect. Not, you don't have to go to the other side of the world to do bring something, or you don't have to try things and just hope that it works. Just We are more precise about the results before we even start to work. And it helps the environment, it helps to gain time, it helps the owner to be prepared on time. And it helps us to just move on with a good reputation.
just by the conditions changing, these traditions changing and this computerizing helping us to be able to build uh, more sophisticated buildings that we couldn't have before, say like taller buildings. I, I was talking to my students about this yesterday that, for example, before we didn't have buildings as tall as these. And then while we were building them, we realized that when you go really high up, you start feeling the lateral force effects that your building starts having oscillations that we didn't have before because we never went that high. And then this brought the tuned mass damper technology, which is a system custom design in a laboratory, imitating the seismic and wind forces and finding a solution to respond to those forces by being in motion and pulling the building to the, to the other side. Even just the maintenance of building that after we build it came up with the BMU technology. After we build the building, after we move out, the contractor moves out, after the user moves in, you have this system up there that is designed, custom designed for that building, which can have a scaffold installed to it that has its own tracks on the building that's already built within. So whenever you need maintenance, cleaning, anything that the building requires, you will make sure that no one is going to damage your building. No one, no one needs to figure out where to install their scaffold to clean your building or replace a curtain wall glass, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's really mind-boggling that it's at the beginning of your career, you started off with papers and pencils and using measuring tapes. And then now with BIM technology, 3D scanning, drone videos, it's right. just a lot of change. And you basically got to experience that in your lifetime and are still experiencing it. So all these changes in technology, how has that affected methods of design in architecture? Oh, it just gave us even bigger wings, larger wings to fly. Now our creativity and imagination has almost no limits. I mean, we are designing for space. Like we are designing for Mars. The last couple of years ago, NASA had this design contest for 3D printers, which was the inspiration behind our project here at CML. This is a 3D clay printing just to see a smaller scale of the project. You just write the code and the computer sends it to 3D printer. You don't touch anything, it's remote construction. Okay, so this is a 3D clay printing test until we figure out how uh, this will turn into a large scale, full scale. Because at the end of the fellowship, my goal is to have six axes that it can just print the entire building. You could just move in once it's done. And hopefully that will take only, as I said, three days and it will have enough. It will be strong enough and it will be waterproof enough and it will be protective and strong enough for someone to move in. And we will see if it will be also comfortable enough. This is a small scale printing, just writing the code to see if we can make regular shapes, just like a circular shape would be the easiest. This is just the beginning. So hopefully at the end of this and the fellowship, we will be able to do this with a printer that's using either concrete or some other material to see if we can achieve that. But I think this is something that everyone in the world is trying to test the options. There's a professor in Beijing University that I'm going to work with. There is a affordable housing unit that house became the first 3D affordable housing 
in European Union. I'm hoping to see next month in Netherlands. And there was a project in Mexico, I believe, that they use for affordable housing. It's a building complex. So things becoming the new normal slowly that it's giving us options. It's, again, much more affordable, faster, open to everybody. Then I make the joke <laughs> that when I propose this, I just want to be the opera giving away houses. You get a house, you get a house, you get a house, because it's no big deal. It's like, look under your seat. There's a house and it's yours. And it's just three days. You can do it. It's no big deal. So we don't have this homelessness or the issue of having a shelter is being the most fundamental human need and being not within reach by everybody is just absurd and unacceptable. So I, I'm hoping that this could help somehow. With the advances in technology, you know, the research you're doing, it will make it to where we can get to that point where housing is more affordable. So how have the changes in the use of technology and methods of design affected your own career? I mean, it definitely, as I said, because having access to uh, technology earlier than average architect, I guess, which I was very lucky. My mentor was very much interested in new technology. To the, when we started building taller, we started using curtain wall glass. And when it was just in the beginning, my mentor, Doug, was flying from New York uh, to Bath, England, to get a master's degree in facade engineering with curtain walls. So him being so much interested in new technology and me being his auntie, and because this was also during the crisis, economic crisis of 2007-8, I was the only one who wasn't let go because I was just so young and I... I could do everything if I was asked to or if I was taught to. I didn't require that much payments. I just wanted to have the experience. I, I was willing to work for free even if, if I had to, because I just wanted to have more experiences. I just want to learn more things. And it was a very pleasant mentor-mentee relationship that Doug would teach me everything. He would just encourage me to do take responsibility, work on something, learn something, explain it, do it together. So I was able to design details of curtain walls, make it waterproof, make it airproof, calculate how the wind forces work, calculate how the seismic forces work, just do the engineering and architecture science behind the buildings. People didn't have infrared technology. This is even before bird flu, uh, when they started measuring people's temperature at the airports with, with infrared technology. I already knew what it was. and. Right now, you can you can even download an app on your phone or just buy an infrared camera for very little money. When I learned how to use one, we had a $25,000 infrared camera that uh, we would just measure the walls, where the leaks might be, the ceilings. When Even when we didn't have something to do that would pay us back, but it besides the experience, we, we would still work on them and try to figure out how to use them in our daily lives for our work. As I said, I was very lucky to have a mentor who was open-minded and who was willing to discover what's out there. And then being the sort of the younger architect to just go run around and apply everything the mastermind was thinking and then just come back with the results and the feedback. 
So I had this first hands-on experience after having all this experience once the economy was back to normal and I knew I already had skills that other people were just starting to learn about that I already mastered them. It made me have the opportunity to become a young executive in my field. I was the vice president of a nine-state engineering company and I was the head of New York office. And my office had more income than eight states total because I had so much experience and I, I knew how to use the technology to come up with the results much faster than anybody else with my office than any other company. So that helped me to just up, up, up uh, in my career to go from one place to another and bring all this new information with me and introduce the technology uh, sort of one, one step ahead of the time every time, which is hopefully with the 3D printer, I want to master it before it even starts becoming part of people's lives that I want to be able to build it, get a building permits for it, know how to do MEP systems, will work in it, how can we incorporate everything together that it actually makes sense, if it's feasible, if it's pleasant enough to live in. I don't know the answers yet. I don't know if it will ever happen, but I would love to try it first. That is just really great. Thank you. Now, what thoughts did you have about the field when you first joined? And how did those thoughts differ from reality? Uh, I don't know. I mean, because I was so young, I kind of started doing it before I could think about it. So I didn't really have expectations. I just want to know how to do it. And I learned how to do it. And I grew up just experiencing it. So it just became a big part of me that I sometimes wonder if I'm that person that people criticize that like your work shouldn't define yourself. It shouldn't define your character. It shouldn't define your personality. It shouldn't define you as a person. But I cannot imagine myself without construction or architecture. I can't even think about anything else because it gives me so much pleasure and calmness and satisfaction in life that I can't separate my, my being from what I do. For example, even when I'm teaching structural engineering or structural systems to my students, I don't even have to try that. I always bring some personality to it. At the end of my structural lecture, we have to go back to why we chose what we chose. What is it that we are taking responsibility for? This work is not writing a novel, which is also important for people's happiness. But we, we are responsible for so many things just by being architects. The, the most important thing in my, in my uh, design studio is to have universal design idea in mind. You can't just focus on how aesthetically pleasing your project is. If your project is causing discrimination against people who, are, who have disabilities, who cannot access to your design, who cannot access to your beautiful building, they can't even park somewhere to get to your building entrance. They don't have a ramp to go up to your building. They don't have a bar to hold on to. They don't have the railing height to have. So if you are going to do this, 
you always have to have this ethical, I am responsible for the public health and happiness. And no matter what I use, no matter what skills I have, I will always focus on this the most, or I will have this core value that I am approaching all my designs with these core values. Even if I'm teaching structural, I can't pull myself out of the, the humanity parts of it or personality parts of what we are doing. Pretty much accessibility is like at the forefront of your design thinking, no matter what it is that you're doing. Correct. Accessibility, equality, justice in daily life, non-discrimination, providing shelter to everybody without discriminating, welcoming everybody. What have you found is most unique about the culture here at Gibbs College? I mean, this is my first time ever in academia. First time ever in this part of the country. First time ever in so many ways. Oh, the very first thing that I was so excited about it, besides having Robert Wesley Fellowship or first ever fellow being my, for the rest of my life, being part of history by being related to someone who made history was a big, big deal for me that it it shows that Oklahoma was uh, where, even though he didn't study here, his bachelor degree, but in the 60s, he was the only Black student in his class, and he was just welcomed and just accepted as is here, that Robert Wesley became a successful architect who was the principal of this biggest company ever. It, it, it already shows the ethics of the, of the Gibbs culture. And I've never seen so much nice people all in one place being from New York. I always, I always mention it. I just can't believe how nice everybody is. So just everyone being so pleasant and being in a very, very, very pleasant environment was so much shocking. And besides that, I think it's, they are so open-minded. I mean, I thought it would be difficult for me to explain why I wanted to do a 3D printing project. I, I, I just thought I would have to really, really explain and find backup for this idea, not being crazy. But it wasn't like that. I didn't have to explain anything. I was just welcomed right away. I was just given all the space, the funding, the help, whatever I could, I could ask for was already ready because they are so open-minded and they are so ready for innovation. The CML is an amazing facility, the creative uh, creating making lab is just full of all these amazing things that I've been enjoying to build what you are thinking on spot right away. And all the software, um, all the theme access, everything that's there is just to support the innovations and the new technology and to welcome ideas, new ideas. So I think it's very encouraging to have such access to it. And the other thing was, I was very fascinated by how there are 39 Native American nations living here. I actually made the start of a project that I teamed up with the Cherokee instructor at OU that she is going to speak the language. She will be the, the words to what I'm performing and I will be just designing from starting from a straight line to how we do, how we design buildings, so to say, how we look at our environment, how do we become 
architects? How, how does an architect look at things? How does an architect see things? But because I learned how to do it in my mother tongue, that is Turkish, and how I grew up with it, I don't struggle wherever I go because my mind and my hand work together and it just creates it. And so with the, with the Cherokee instructor, it will be my hand just working, doing a line, doing triangles, doing design, doing perspectives, two-point perspectives, buildings. And she will be the face and the lips and the voice of what's going on, teaching Cherokee kids in their mother tongue, how do you start seeing things, your environment, and how do you turn it into a design? And once they know how to do it, it becomes just a, just an automatic feeling of architecture. And then they can do it in English, they can do it in any other language they want to. But they will have that core skill or feeling of architecture, so, which is I'm excited about. I'm so glad that you just feel so welcomed at Gibbs, that you've got the opportunity to do your 3D printing research that you're doing right now. That's really cool. Now, how do you use your professional experience to influence your students? I always show my students real life scenarios because I'm not from academia, because I'm from the construction site. I show them how things are done in real life. For example, when we do the universal design, if I show them in physical obstacles, if they miss something or if they don't pay attention to universal design, if they miss a rail or if they don't pay attention or if they forget or if they don't approach from the beginning to their design with the universal design in mind. If I show them not only how physically it will be impossible to get a permit, how it will fail the inspections, but also how much it will cost to the client how the contractor has to have a subcontractor who has to have a manufacturer who has to do these installations of new things that would cost how much for per linear foot. So when they see the real effects in dollar value or time value or the physical effects of what they are thinking or designing, I feel like they are feeling more closer to their work now because they are a fourth year student. So they are about to become architects, which that's what I call them. I call them my colleagues. I don't call them my students or I don't call them each other's classmates. I call them all colleagues. And I think uh, what's giving them um, the inspiration on they are about to become this and they are about to think that way. Or, for example, the structural lecture or structural design for their projects. Because I walk from home to the campus and on the way I take photos of the construction site, I started doing it for my personal curiosity because I've never seen the materials that are used in this climate. I've never seen a tornado before. I had two already uh, alert experiences. So then I decided, hey, I'm experiencing this, how fast this construction is going or how different this material is. To be used at the site. So I, I thought to myself, why don't we bring our students and let them see what's going on in real life, how it is being built, how other architects' designs are being built in the environment they live in, in the city they live in. So we had a four-hour walkthrough from site to site uh, to different construction sites. We will have another one next Wednesday. So we just go there. I show them, this is how you do this. This is what this space is probably for because it has more structural 
support or reinforcement in here. If they have pipes, then this might be a kitchen space because they have floor drains, et cetera, et cetera. Or shear walls, this might be the fire egress uh, stairs, or this might be the elevator shaft, et cetera. And it, it makes them just feel how close they are to outside world and becoming real architects and having effect, uh, impact on society and future. And just, I think it excites them. I feel excitement. Thank you. Yeah, that sounds really great. So it sounds like they're able to just get more experience by actively seeing it, which allows them to have more real life like scenarios. So once they graduate, they'll have more of an idea once they're in the real world actually doing a job. Absolutely. And then do you have an example of a past or current project that you'd like to talk about for a little bit? It's the United Nations building right across First Avenue. And our building is on 46th and 1st. It all went up from negative 45 feet below ground to 600 feet above ground day and night through COVID. It was just an exciting experience for me. And it allowed me to use all my skills because this was my first general contractor experience. And I used all my architecture engineering skills to make the connection or communication between the architect and engineer design team and the builder team. I understood, now I have much more empathy for the building team because when you are only an architect, you don't really understand or you have prejudices about the other team. When you are only general contractor, then you have prejudices or less empathy about the design team. But coming from design area, but being in the builder team, I felt like I had a good, good opportunity to be the bridge between these two teams that would make things, problems to be solved faster or find solutions to, to anything that came up. But also just being in the center of New York, the heart of the city, uh, this was such a fascinating experience, not just the views, but there's the United Nations, it's high security. I work with Secret Service because of like certain time of the year that we would have to have UN General Assembly right across or uh, during COVID times we had, because it's on a very central location on 46th Street and 1st Avenue, parking problems for our concrete trucks for per floor we had approximately 64 tracks of concrete poured into each slab. So you would have all these concrete tracks on First Avenue uh, trying to organize how to make things work. And somehow when COVID hit, even though it was devastating for the planet, and we also struggled with it, we also had the opportunity to just work in a fully vacant city where we could actually work much faster, much easier, no traffic, no problems to, to find parking for our trucks with materials, etc. So it was a big experience for me, I think. And also some materials were from overseas. I was able to use my connections with China, Italy, Turkey, United States. My regular day would start with, um, because of the time difference, it would start early uh, speaking with China and then the time difference, like it was 12 hours and then it would be eight, uh, seven hours with Italy, speak with Italy. It was uh, eight hours with Turkey, speak with Turkey, uh, speak with uh, the states and the two sides of the states, West Coast to East Coast, trying to organize everything. Yes, and doing all these in their own languages, by the way. So 
it was very, very, very much satisfying for me that anything I learned in world, I have used that skill on, on this project. So I think uh, it will be very monumental. Plus, my project will be always there to show, like, I did this. So I think that that's been the best experience for me. For a builder, it was Perkins Eastman's design, but I, I, I felt very happy to build it to a level that they were happy with it. Really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really awesome that you got to experience from both sides. So you started off as the designer seeing it from that perspective, but now you also see it from like the building perspective too. Correct. And I can't wait to go visit the users. I will have coffee with everybody in the building just to see how they are experiencing it. Oh, thank you. Do you have any other thoughts that you would like to share? I don't know. I really hope this inspires everyone to just try it. If you're curious about something, just try it. It's never too late. If you're curious enough, you will find a way to experience it. If it doesn't work out, it's fine. I mean, I told you 10 success stories. I have a thousand failure stories. I have a thousand ridiculous trials and errors. It's okay in the end. If you're ethical, and if you're true to yourself, do not worry about financial worries. We will always be needed. Just have your skills. Just improve your skills all the time. And be uh, not just to have skills, but have interest in them. Have genuine interest in what you do. And once you have that, be curious. And whatever you're curious about, go ahead and try it wherever. Once, once of course, hopefully the COVID is behind us. Go try it elsewhere in the world to go to Europe, go to Asia, go to go wherever, go to Africa, go just try things. I think uh, we do have a very special profession that allows us to make the world so global and accessible and in our hands just by the nature of it and use it for good. Thank you so much for that. That was really inspiring. Thank you so much for meeting with me today. It's been so enjoyable to listen to your whole journey and get to see all of your cool skyscrapers and projects that you've done. Thank you for reaching out. I'm so happy to and humbled to be invited for this. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to the Gibbs Spotlight. Tune in next time to hear more stories from the Gibbs College of Architecture.